This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Walton's, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, Federal Ammunition, and by North Dakota Tourism. Speaking of North Dakota, my guest today is in North Dakota. Kenton Bryant is his name. He is a country music singer from Nashville that's currently training dogs on the prairie in North Dakota. We'll discuss the differences between training trial dogs and hunting dogs. And of course, we'll get up-to-date information on the birds he's seeing in the field. Spoiler alert, there's a lot of them. It's time to start planning your next bird hunt. If you've listened to this podcast for any time at all, then you know where I'm about to send you. That's to North Dakota. Why? Well, it's one of the greatest places on earth to watch a bird dog in the field. That's why. In North Dakota, you can experience a waterfall hunt during the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt all in the same day. I've done it many times. That's why I know it's true. Plus, this year, the spring pheasant crowing counts were up 30% from last year, and the weather has been looking good for a strong hatch. Water levels are up way up, which means the total number of wetlands are up too, 76% above the long-term average, and that means more ducks and geese. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year, 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of this means more pheasants than last year, more ducks than last year, and I'm hearing excellent reports about the sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge too. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Martin, as always, is our producer. Thank you for all that you do, Brandon. Appreciate you. Hi, last week we talked with Tim Brown about his roadside pheasant counts in Iowa. This week we're heading to North Dakota, I guess. What I'm doing is I'm living vicariously through people that are out on the landscape right now, working with dogs and birds. But before we introduce our guests, I want to give you a quick reminder that We've got flush hats, shirts, fleece pullovers, items for sale on our website at theflush.tv. Scott Franzen made up a nice batch of these, and the money that we raise from the sales are going to go right back to Pheasants Forever. So you're purchasing with purpose. You're purchasing for the birds. We hope you'll find something that you like on the site and hit the order button. All right. Our guest today is Kenton Bryant, a country music singer from Nashville, Tennessee, currently in North Dakota, Kenton, appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule today. Where are you and what do you see right now? Oh, man, I'm in a, and thanks, by the way, for having me on. Um, I am in southwest North Dakota. Uh, and, you know, it, it's the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. We, Is it dry? Is it dusty? You know, I got up here. It rained four inches. I got here on saturday and it had rained four inches and uh you know i think that's been kind of the 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 norm this year they've got a lot of rain and you can tell i mean the pastures are really nice um there are a lot of birds uh which is awesome you know in in the past few years this is my first time at this camp and uh you know it friends of mine were saying that it you know it looked like the moon a couple years ago because you know during the drought but uh man it's it's fantastic right now so are you, yeah, are you close to the Badlands over there or are you just east of them? Yeah. So we're about, you know, 60 miles from Baker, Montana. 
Um, there, you know, there are a lot of, it's kind of a hub for, for dog trainers up here, you know, field trailers and dog trainers. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really nice. It's better than it's ever been. So you're from Nashville, at least you live there now. Is that your hometown? Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I'm actually from Glasgow, Kentucky. And, uh, I moved to Nashville about 10 years ago to write songs for a living, which is, uh, is a, is a, (laughs) it's tough in its own. And, um, moved, moved to Nashville to write songs. And and I've been very, very fortunate to, uh, to make a career out of writing songs. And for the longest time I was, you know, I did artist stuff as well, released a lot of music and was, was fortunate to tour with people like Leonard Skinner and Willie Nelson and Kip Moore and, and a bunch of big artists and, and headline shows of my own. And, uh, during COVID, uh, I decided to ramp everything down and, uh, I just, I, I started writing songs for other people and that's kind of where I'm at in my career now. Uh, this hmm. year I've had two songs out with Luke Combs. Um, I had a song out with Kip, Kip Moore. Uh, I had a song out with a guy named Chase Matthew, uh, who's on a new artist on Warner. And I've had songs with Randy Rogers band in the past and Craig Campbell and, a slew of others. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm spending a little more time with the dogs and the horses and a lot less time on the road going and playing shows. So I was going to ask you, is that like the perfect way to scratch your artistic itch and make a living doing it and still have time to do what you're doing now? Like if you're, if you're the singer, if you're in front, man, you got to be on stage every night. You got to be humping it all over the country on tour. Don't you? That's it. And, you know, I mean, life comes down to the amount of time you can spend. And, and you know, I've got a family and, uh, you know, I, I, I quickly realized um, that although I, I, I love touring and I love playing shows, I really enjoyed writing songs. That's what I moved to town to do. And um, I can I can write songs. I mean, I'm in North Dakota here and I'm, I'm hopping on Zoom once or twice a week and writing with artists and uh, still being able to work, which is fantastic. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you, when you tour, you, you can expect to be gone at least 35 to 40 weeks a year, uh, you know, probably Thursday through Monday. And, uh, you know, I just, as I said, I got a little girl, I have a boy, a little boy on the way and, and, oh, and my wife likes me at home sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just did that. And, uh, it's, it's been a fun change of pace. You know, it's, it, you're right. It is, it's a different, way to scratch the itch but i uh you know i grew up with a with a passion for bird dogs and bird hunting and and uh just decided i wanted to go down that road a little bit more within the you know the field trials and things like that and um you know the songwriting affords me the time uh to come to north dakota and you know when when pretty much everybody else is on tour and doing that i'm i'm going to be in north dakota for a month and a half Right. Oh my goodness. Well, I have a friend, one of my best friends, he married a singer that moved to Nashville and and they live in Nashville now. And when I've gone down there to visit, I am just blown away at the talent that's down there. Everybody is singing their heart out. Every bar that you walk into, every cafe, every, like even you get off the airplane in the airport, there's somebody sitting there leaning up (laughs) against the wall singing. And you're like, how are you not on the radio? You're amazing. I mean, I'm just, I'm in awe of the talent, but I've also learned that just how hard it is to make it in that industry just by, you know, following the life of a friend that's down there doing it. So congrats mm-hmm. to you for making it and for oh, and for continuing to go and 
finding your niche in there. Um, I am curious though, of the places that you've toured, what is your favorite venue to play in? Oh gosh, that's a good one. You know, and, and I've, I've said this a whole lot when people ask about touring, I always say I've been everywhere and nowhere at the same time because you, <laughs> you're so busy when you're on tour. I mean, you, you usually leave in the middle of the night, you get somewhere, you take a nap, you wake up, you do sound check, you play the show, you eat dinner, you load up and you roll out. So, um, I, I would say my favorite show I've ever played uh, I played with Willie Nelson on my birthday in, in Huntsville, Alabama. That was really cool. He gave me his bandana he was wearing that night for my birthday. Um, that was cool. I did uh, Van Andel Arena in, gosh, I think I think Michigan. I think that's where that is. Uh, with Leonard Skinner one night, and there were like 14,000 people. That was really cool. Hmm. Um, you know, gosh, there's so many. I mean, just the venues. <sighs> Yeah, I'll say Van Andel Arena. I mean, staring back at 14,000 people is really, really cool. I'm not going to lie about yeah. Who was your inspiration to start writing music? You know, I, I, it, it evolved, and I can't say there's ever one person, but, you know, growing up, I loved the Beatles, and I loved Stevie Wonder and Johnny Lang and a lot of blues guys, and uh, that evolved into John Mayer, and, and and I would say pretty much everybody out now that's, that's doing what I do probably were, you know, John Mayer was an inspiration at some point or another. Uh, you know, Eric Church was a big, big inspiration there for a long time. And, you know, you just kind of, as you're, as you're going through your songwriting career, you know, even from the beginning and, and, and even now, uh, it's, it's all input, input, input. And that input somehow turns into output. And, uh, you know, you, so you have to be careful what you listen to because it's probably going to somehow work its way into what you do. Sure. That's fair. Um, how often do you write a song before it sticks? I mean, if, is it one out of a hundred, one out of a thousand, one out of you ten? Know, that, that's the trickiest question because, you know, I probably write when I'm when I'm home. I mean, when I, while out here, I'm not writing as much. But when I'm at home, I write three or four days a week. And we usually finish, this, you know, you finish the song every day. So I write three to five songs a week. And, uh, you know, the odds go up a lot more when the artist is in the room, which is, it didn't used to be that way. Nashville used to be a town where songwriters wrote songs and artists cut them. And, you know, like George Strait never wrote a song. So he always cut outside songs from songwriters. And, and that was the case for most of the artists, you know, 90s, 80s, 90s country artists that you like, um, that we all like, that except for a select few um, that might have written all their songs. Toby Keith wrote all his songs. Alan Jackson wrote a lot, but he did cut outside songs as well. And um, it's shifted. The, the the town shifted, and now it's pretty much where, you know, I'm writing with a lot of artists, whether it's Luke Combs or Kip Moore, and you collaborate with the artist directly uh, and and make the song. So it's a, it's a little different game than it was even ten years ago. But uh, you know, I would say the if you're writing with artists three days a week, I would say one out of five, probably one out of five oh, really? songs. Probably gonna, yeah. One out of five songs is probably going to have a chance at making the record. Um, I say this in the best way, but you, when you get to a point, you really going to say you don't write bad songs, but you don't really write. It's the level between good and great is a lot different than it used to be. Um, we all know how to write 
good songs and song structure and rhymes and make things work. Uh, and just like anything else, as you grow as a writer and you've written 1,500, 2,000 songs, it's not that you ever really learn what how to write a great song, but you learn what make what you learn what not to do, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so you, it's I, a lot easier to go, no, that that's not it. <laughs> Are you ever surprised though when something hits and you're like, wow, that was crap? <laughs> I did not think that one was going to be any good, and you're like, it really turned out better than I thought. All the time, and and yet, as I said, I mean, we're writing songs in between an hour to three hours. I mean, it's it's very very fast process. Um, which is fine. That's, that's what I want. I, I would rather get back and edit later, but you know, we're not in, in the commercial country world. Um, you know, we would all like to be Bob Dylan, every songwriter out there, you know, people, you know, it's always funny. Well, it's just truck, you know, it's trucks and beer and blah, blah, blah. Well, like, yes, it is. <laughs> we all want to be Bob Dylan. And, and but, trains. Yeah. And prison and, and getting drunk. And getting drunk, but you know, at the end of the day, as a songwriter, you're you're helping somebody else tell their story, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you've there there are only so many parameters within the commercial country world, you know, that's going to get played on radio. So you kind of have you you at least know the sandbox you're playing in most of the yeah. time, um, and you just get good at, at at finding the money in the corners of the sandbox. So when I commissioned you to write a a line for a bird dog and song. Is it wasn't uh, difficult for you to put this together, was it? Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I actually, I, I thought about it when you asked me that question yesterday. I think I might have lied to you. I think I do have a bird dog song somewhere. Um, let me dig through and find it. Uh, okay. It, it's. It, I'm trying to think what the heck happened to that. Um, you think it would come up over um, a bonfire as you're sitting out there on a night watching the sun go down on the prairie and, and somebody would say, hey, Kenton, grab your guitar. I want to hear you sing. You know, it's funny. It gets dark here and we're up at, you know, we're up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning um, to get going. And uh, heck, I've been in bed at 830 and nine o'clock at night. The sun's still up when we're going to bed half the time. Um, because you, you know, you're just up, I mean, some mornings we're up at two o'clock in the morning to, you know, to get going if we're going a little further out. Is that because you've got got to get the horses ready too? Oh my gosh. I mean, we're, you know, we're running and this is this, we can kind of segue into that, but sure. You know, with, with these trial dogs, which most of these dogs are, are either trial dogs or they're going to be, you know, their prospects, you know, you're probably running two to five dogs. A, a round, a brace, which brace is probably going to take 45 minutes or an hour if you're making a round in the field. And, uh, you know, we're probably running anywhere between uh, eight to 12 dogs. So, yeah, you, by the time you get all the dogs in the trailer, you know, you get a couple horses tacked up, loaded up. You know, we feed before the horses get fed beforehand. Um, you know, obviously having to get up and make coffee <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, get everything lined out. And, you know, the, if anybody that's been in North Dakota will tell you, I mean, there, there's no short distance here. I mean, 30 miles is, is a, a, a puddle jump. So right. you just gotta, you know, you get up and if you got to go 30 or 40 miles South or North or wherever, um, you know, you, you got a, a lot for that time too. I mean, we've got dogs on the ground at probably five thirty in the morning right now. Yeah. It's funny when we're on the road and we're traveling and it doesn't matter where we are, as long as we're West of the Mississippi, um, everybody that says, yeah, it's a, it's a 15 minute drive. 
I add 35 to 45 minutes to that. If it's an hour, that means like two hours. It just inevitably, it always takes, they're just telling you like as the crow flies, but that's not how I actually can get there. It's always two to three times longer. It feels like to get anywhere. There's no five minute drive. No, there's not. And you, it, the tricky thing is like Apple Maps has zero comprehension of, you know, the dirt gravel roads. Um, sure. So it could be like I went fly. I fly fish a lot and I went fly fishing yesterday afternoon and it was like 13 miles, 45 minutes. I'm like, oh, no, these are this is a this is the gravel highway. I went, It's like 75 miles an hour. Gosh, down the I, gravel am, road. <laughs> I am so mad that I'm not out there with you. I know that we talked about it oh, maybe a month or two ago, but. You went fishing after running dogs out there, riding horseback on the prairie. You are somewhere close to heaven. Yeah, you are You are <laughs> living high on the hog, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Did it's, you catch anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. So there's there's a really cool little uh, little pond that's, that's right around the corner. It's like 15 miles away. And, you know, probably a little pound bass. You know, just I catch them on a... Uh, I don't know if you fly fish, but a little terrestrial, just a little like uh, chubby Chernobyl foam beetle kind of thing. And uh, it's it's really fun. Just a little top water fly fishing action. Yeah, uh, sounds awful. OK, let's get into your bo- into your dog training world. How long have you been running dogs, training dogs? Man, I've I really don't remember a time when I didn't have a bird dog. I grew up uh, in Glasgow, Kentucky, and I was very, very, very fortunate to grow up and have land, um, the family land. And, uh, my great uncle got my dad into bird dogs when I was very, very young. And, um, you know, just my, some of my earliest memories are, are with my dad running bird dogs. And, um, you know, we grew up and I, I, as a kid, you know, it ebbed and flowed, whether I'd be like really into it and, you know, 12, 13, have two or three dogs of my own. Then you, you know, girls came along, blah, blah, blah. And then 18 or 19 in college, I lived 30 minutes away. And gosh, I was running bird dogs, you know, during season. And, and, and the dogs were different. They were, they were hunting dogs. They were meat dogs. Uh, and I love shooting birds. And um, so it was, it was very much a, there wasn't, the, the training was different. The dogs were shorter. They were, they were hunting dogs. And uh, gosh, I got, I was doing that. And I moved to Nashville and, and kept my dogs in Kentucky. And they got old just flat out, you know, we went from five, six, seven dogs to four to three and to two. And I had one dog left, what, a couple of years ago now. And, uh, and we had hunted her a lot and, um, and she was a nice dog. Uh, you run her the mill setter, nothing special. And uh, I told my dad, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go buy another pup. And I ended up buying three pups hmm. and, um, you know, and, and that kind of spurred this whole, the field trial thing and, and finding, more out of it and uh it, it was really neat and, and you know we've I, again it was just be honest with you it was just flat out luck i ended up with a setter out of a, a dog named aaron's wild atlantic way uh he's a you know he, he'll be running the national championship all age championship this year and um my setter is just happened to be really 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 good and uh you know a big running 60 pound setter and a, a dear friend of mine george hickocks uh he's a professional dog trainer Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had been, you know, friends for years and, you know, corresponded through helping a lot of my gun dogs. And, and, uh, I said, George, I really like this dog. I'd like to get into field trials. And, and he's like, well, let me look at him. And he goes, well, that's a really nice dog. So it kind of spurred this whole thing and getting into field trials. And, uh, gosh, now I think I've got 10 out there right now. So, oh my goodness. When, when okay. So when, when George looks at 
that dog. What yeah. does he see in it that he says, that's a good looking dog? Because you know he's seen thousands of them. Thousands, thousands. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, I always say like a field trial dog and, and is you're, you're looking for the Olympic level athlete. You know, or, mm-hmm. you know, and George, you look at a dog like that, the run, I mean, trial dogs need to be, people always say, well, they run off, but no, they need to be able to have the athletic ability to run the country. They cover the country at whether the country's 200 yards, whether the country's a half mile, uh, the dog needs to be able to you know, confidently run the country, find birds and be broke. You know, and, and which means, you know, you might be thousand yards off and the dog goes on point and, you know, he has to have the mental capacity and the mental ability to stand there mm-hmm. and wait till you get there, you, whether it's 10 seconds or 10 minutes. And that it just takes an unbelievable mind uh, for the dog to, you know, naturally run to the front. You know, that's a big thing in field trials is the dog doesn't stay, you know, you, they don't run behind you. They see that they cue off the horse's head. And it's, it's a, a lot of it's mental. I will say a lot of the dog is mental. It's a great nose. It's, it's, it's the way their gait, uh, you know, a, a big dog like that, you know, pretty much all the dogs run in the national, um, you know, they're going to have a really nice gait. They're not jackrabbit legs, you know, where the both legs come out under them. Um, they're not short legged, you know, things, things like that. It's again, it, it'd be like if you're trying to describe LeBron James, you'd say he's a, <laughs> you know, he's an that, athlete. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what these dogs are. And, um, you know, George and I talked about that one day and I was just picking the same question going, what makes a trial dog? And, uh, he goes, well, you know, they're, they're just really, really good. And everybody's seen good dogs. We've all had good dogs. I've had great dogs that were, there were hunters, but if, I don't know if you play golf or not, or not but it's not nearly like enough, the, but yes. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the difference between bird dogs and like a top shelf field trial dog. Everybody, you know, if you play golf, we can all have fun shooting 85, but if you go watch, okay. And even if you said like, Oh, there's a, the guy at your local course that shoots par, he's a really good golfer. He's a great golfer. Mm-hmm. The difference between him and somebody on the PGA tour would make you your jaw drop. Yep. So that is the difference in dog with the field trials. You're, you're, you get to see the Tiger Woods level ability when most of us are just used to seeing a good golfer, you right. know, and, right. and that's which, and, and it's hard to, it, to me, it's really, it was hard to understand until I really started going to a lot of trials and seeing dogs, you know, dogs that can handle at 1500 yards or 2000 yards or that are dogs that are gone for 10, 15 minutes. You know, you, they go around a corner and you don't see them for 15 minutes and you just, you're riding the course. And all of a sudden you look up on the horizon and then there's just a white little, you know, aspirin pill going across the front and stops and points. I mean, yeah. the dog knew where you were, they, they, you know, they were running the front, they were, they were covering the country. And then if the dog goes on point at a thousand yards and you're able to navigate the whole course, get up there, get off your horse, walk in front, bird flushes up, and you fire your gun and the dog stands there, that takes an unbelievable amount of mental ability, physical ability. And and that's really at the end of the day what the few trials were made for were to create or to show the dogs that breed on. 
you know, hey, wh- whoever won today was the dog we want to go breed our, our our bitches to. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what it is, and it's 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 poetry in motion, really. Uh, that's that's the best way I can always describe it. Oh, you're not the first to say that line. My my dog training mentor George Lyle says poetry in motion all the time, and I have struggled to explain on this podcast what it's like to see a dog that has the, I'll put in quote, air quotes, it. Like it just has it and it's different. And I've hunted with a lot of dogs over the last 10 years doing this TV show. I've hunted with some amazing dogs and some dogs just have it. And they go out and they find the birds and they hold them. And you know, whatever that dog does when it's on point, you can trust it until you get there but it just finds them. It just like a heat seeking missile and Mm -hmm. it stands out from all the other dogs in the field. And not, not everybody has a chance to see that. It's like, not everyone has a chance to go golfing with the club pro, you know, I mean, it's, it's at their local course or whatever sport it might be. There are some people that are just different and some dogs are just different and they're right out of the gate puppies. You can tell the difference. Um, my buddy George Lyle has one right now, Rip. He's got a young English pointer that is just unbelievable. At 11 months old, he put my dog to shame. And I'm I'm proud of her, mine. But, uh, yeah. you know, she she did fine. But she, Rip just, I mean, took it to another level. And Boone, his other dog, same deal. You know, I'm like, wow, that's well, that's what you want right there. The, the pointer, and, and, and I have a setter that I love. He's actually, he's my best dog, but I've had a lot of setters that I've I've rehomed and, and sold over the years, especially the past two years. Setters are wonderful, wonderful dogs. I love them. Um, but it takes a, it's a one in a million setter to run an all-age stake. I mean, to a dog that, that runs at that level, um, there's just not as many. I mean, you look at the national championship, and let's just, we'll, we'll call it what it is. You know, the all-age national championship, which is run at Ames Plantation, you know, it's they run for $25,000, and uh, it's open. You know, it, as long as it's a registered dog, you can come. And uh, the only dogs that have ever won it are pointers, and there have been a few few setters sprinkled in. I think one, I think three setters in the past 75 years maybe, and one of them won it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just look, and, and, and George Hickok's again, is uh, somebody that I've talked a whole lot of bird dog with. And, you know, the English pointer is, is built differently. You know, they process glycogen differently. Uh, that's why English pointer can run for three, three hours, which is, the you know, at the national. Uh, not many dogs can run at that mm-hmm. level and, you know, be gone and, and point that many birds. I mean, at, at that level without being metabolically different. Um, metabolically different, excuse me. Uh, you know, they process glycogen differently. Their diesel tank versus their rocket fuel, they know how to, they can regulate their rocket fuel. And that's why a lot of, uh, a lot of sled dog guys are breeding to English pointers so they can get that glycogen processing differently. Interesting. Um, and it takes, it, you know, again, they got to have the heart and they got to have the will and the mind to do it. Uh, but I can tell you, I mean, you, you take, I got a pointer out right here. His name's Willie. And I got him off uh, a guy named Randy Anderson. Randy's won the national bunch. He'll be, end up being a Hall of Fame trainer. And I bought him at a year and a half. And, uh, you know, Willie works out every day. Um, and he'll run an hour every day. Uh, and a thousand yards and pointing birds. It's just the heart and the drive. It's just a different dog uh, than, than most most hunting dogs. Um, but you, you got to be willing to 
except that uh, when you, when you're getting into when, when you're getting into dogs, I mean, mm-hmm. I love I love pheasant hunting. Pointer is not my favorite dog for pheasant. I would rather have a Springer or you know a really close working GSP. Um, they they seem to just knock it out of the park when you when you go into that thick stuff for those pheasants. But you know if you're wanting a dog that runs the countryside, quail hunting, pheasant, or right, well some pheasant, we've got some pheasants, but sharp tails, you know, we call them chickens out here, but um, sharp tails and and everything else, man, it's really really tough to beat a pointer. Yeah. And where do, and would a setter come in pretty close to that too for the prairie, the wide open space? You know, it takes a good one. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and pointers too. I mean, I've got the, the way that it, it took me a long time to realize this, and and a lot of mentors of mine that are that have done it at a high level. Not every dog makes it. You you own essentially when you're doing this. You're you you're the head coach of a professional team, the Olympic team, whatever whatever makes you feel good. What mm-hmm. scenario? You got to look at these dogs objectively, um, and pick out their weaknesses and their their you know their strengths. I mean, when, when I buy because I buy five or six puppies a year and bring them up, and, and I love them. I, I, there's nothing that makes me more happy. Than, than working a bird dog. I love it. It's in my blood. It's all I ever want to do. And I've done a lot of it. But you can't, whereas, you know, a house, I have a setter at home. I love him to death, but he's the worst bird dog in town. Um, he just, he was a <laughs> I don't think I'm, I believe that. I don't believe that. <laughs> no, he, you know, he's just, he, he's, he's a small bodied setter, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, he's a great dog. We kept him. But I, we look at it objectively and you go, you work the best forget the rest and and you you're trying to make the best ball team or 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 team you can so you got to look at these dogs and go okay who actually has a chance at being a trial prospect now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested maybe it's time to try a new recipe sprinkle on a new seasoning or make your own jerky and sausage trust me it's not that hard to do and it can be fun for the whole family it doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it walton's has you covered Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full-circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential, too. The full-circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good-for-life system. The Nutrisource good-for-life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full-circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. 
So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Okay, and so let let's let's take a break that down so people can wrap yeah. their head around what it is that you're looking for. What are some strengths? What are some weaknesses? And being objective and looking at a dog, most people don't because it's theirs. Nope. It's their one dog, and that's it. Oh, like, it's their baby. They're gonna they're gonna love it if it sucks, and they're gonna love it if it's great, and they're gonna think it's the best ever, right? That's what people do with their dogs. That, that's what you do. And, and listen, it's it's not that I don't. I love I love them differently because I want to. You know, Farrell Miller, who's a Hall of Fame bird dog guy, probably the best dog man ever. Legitimately, I mean. All the all the field trial, you look just look at the field trial history. Farrell Miller's on all of it. He's the best dog man of all time. Um, you know, Farrell always says, uh, love what they do, not who they are. And it, it, it it's it's hard to say that as a dog, you know, everybody's it's got their pet. This dog sleeps in the bed with me. But if he's out there and he's knocking birds and, you know, running around like crazy and and not hunting and doing this eventually you're going to kind of have to come to realization that he might not be a good bird dog. <laughs> you know? um, so, you, when you, when you have, so we'll start these puppies. You know, I've got, I got four puppies on the way right now when I get back from the prairie and uh, we'll get them at eight, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. And usually you start them out young. I will do the pigeon introduction, you know, do a gun introduction, 15, 16 weeks. And before they really get to hunting, uh, running the, running the country, cause he's, I got setters and pointers coming. We'll, uh, you, you know, you check their noses, make sure they got a good nose and you flock them, you know, you just get in front of a horse and I'll get a pigeon pole, you know, a pigeon and you got a, a pole and, uh, with a string and a harness on the pigeon and you just kind of, they love those pigeons. Now you get them excited about it and they'll run out, you know, these puppies might cover, you know, a hundred yards and then you start singing, they call it singing. You'd be like, Whoa, Whoa, give me a pup, 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 pup. And they'll come in you, you do that with that pigeon pole and you're going to have, uh, all the puppies at you. I mean, I ran seven puppies yesterday on the prairie and they're all six, seven month old puppies. And, uh, guy, it's like, you know, somebody let rats loose, you know, <laughs> but you, if you had the pigeon pole, you know, and we're not, we don't run collars on the puppies. And, uh, so they're just running, but they, the, the one equalizer to bring them in is that pup, that pigeon pole. And, uh, you know, you can put them all, you know, when you need to put your puppies up and everything, you can, you get that pigeon pole out and you start catching puppies real easy with that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the pigeon. That's the, that's the puppy side of it. Uh, and what, and what else are we talking about? Well, I'm just wondering, you know, like, can you, at what point can you start to tell if a dog's got it and it's going to be, be a part of your team or not? You know, that's the, the interesting side of that is, is dogs do develop differently. Um, Sean Derrick is a friend of mine and, and Sean, uh, owns Aaron Kennels. There are a lot of setters out there out of hidden shamrock. Uh, I think hit shamrock's probably the I would probably say the the most influential setter of the past 10 years. Um, and, and Sean, I mean, Sean's had three dogs in the hall of fame. So I, I, again, I trust what he's saying, you know, by four or five months when you're flocking all those puppies and, and, and I, I do a big pre-release program at my farm. So we'll have two, 300 birds, quail, you know, that are, that are doing pre-release. So they're, they're pretty wild, you know, by the time those puppies get in there after them. And you'll, you'll start to pick them out, you know, objectively watching 10 puppies run, 
you see, okay, out of the 10, pretty much every time there are two that are in the front running and they're the two with the best tails and the two that always point. And there's three of them in the back every single time and they don't point <laughs> the birds that much. It's just like tryouts for the football team. Start sure. to pay attention to that trend and objectively going, okay, little Sparky is 30 yards behind the front dog every time and he, he just never, he never wins. So you start, you know, four to six months, you start getting your pecking order. Uh, at six, seven months, I expect them the pointing birds. I mean, you know, I went down and visited Sean at, at his place and, you know, he'll sort a hundred puppies a year down to 14. And, uh, you know, those 14 are, you know, by six, seven months, you know, they're running out 300, 400 yards in, in the Georgia pines and pointing birds and backing each other. And, you know, it's, it's a real deal. Hmm. And, uh, but he, you know, he sorted through all those pups to find those 14. And even from those 14, he, he, he starts, you know, people call and say, Hey, I want to buy a, a young dog. And you know, that dog might go for 10 grand, 10, $15,000. Um, those sorted pups and by seven or eight months, you pretty much know what you got. Uh, and those dogs, a lot of times would come to the prairie. Um, like I've got, I've sorted pups and brought pups up and, you know, you start seeing which dogs pick it up quick. Um, I've got a really, really nice female, which, which is different because, uh, you know, she was not the pick that I, th I thought was going to be the, the, the best pup. And she was probably second or third in, in the pecking order. And she got to the prairie and she's running them. She's running and, and pointing sharp tails and pointing roosters and looks like a million bucks. So you've got to have, you got to give them time. But for me at, at four to five, six months, you know, they're running in front of the horse. They, they, they're hunting. They're, it's, it's, they're not screwing around. Uh, they're still knock pointing and knocking. I mean, you know, those, they're, they're going to put some birds in the air, but they're sure. finding birds. And, uh, and, and I think that's, uh, that's the thing objectively, you know, is it, is it okay to have a pup that doesn't at seven, eight, nine months? I have one out, you know, right now, uh, really well-bred little pointer, but she's, you know, to be flat out, she's not finding birds and you, you got to give them enough grace to, to find, to, to develop that sense. But we're, again, if you're going up against LeBron James, LeBron James got a lot of natural talent that you and I don't have for playing sure. basketball. And yep. you look at it and you go, okay, we've got two dogs here that are really, really knockout dogs. You, those dogs get moved into a different, I move those to a different running time. So you, you, instead of flocking all seven, 10 puppies at the same time, now I'm taking a 10 month old dog, the two top two 10 month old dogs, they get run in a separate group than the puppies. And, uh, then, you know, I'm not going to say you put, you you start demanding a little more of them. So you start saying, all right, we have to stay in front of the horse a little bit. You know, you introduce at that point, I mean, they've all been collar conditioned. So you, at this point you kind of make them stay out front, but they're natural front runners. They're natural bird finders. And, you know, by the time we leave the prairie, I would expect that these 10, 11 month old pups are going to be running out having five, six, seven fines, uh, you know, and, and probably not going to be broke. Uh, at 10 or 11 months, 12 months old, I don't want them broke. I want them running, running as much as they want to run and, and handling in front and finding birds. Um, and the rest of the puppies will probably, you know, got a lot of guys that, that back home that, that want the, the field trial calls and, you know, they're going to, they'll take them back, make great gun dogs out of them. Uh, and they're fantastic gun dogs. 
but again, if you're looking for LeBron James, you can't settle for Kenton Bryant when it comes to playing basketball. <laughs> so, <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Five foot eleven guy from Kentucky is probably not going to be the one you going to want on the Lakers, right? Okay, um, so there's a lot to unpack there. Like, as far as okay, so that trial dog, you know, it wasn't the the, the pack out of your top ten, you know, but it could still end up being just a fine hunting dog for somebody. So you're, yeah. you, you know, it's still a great dog. It's just not the best of the best. And yeah. would you ever take your your top of the line trial dog out hunting oh i mean i will tell you this the top of the line trial dog is a top of the line people always forget when trial dogs they say always oh, a trial dog they find birds you know we yeah. took you know national my, i'm out here sharing a camp with a guy named will dunn and will owns uh national champion uh dunn's tried and true i mean the dog went out the other day at 10 years old and had five chicken finds in like 45 minutes. Um, and we're talking about a dog that's arthritic. Uh, these are bird finding machines. I mean, I would bet genuinely, I would say, you know, uh, Miller's blindsider that won the national championship this year. If, you know, I would bet my house that he's going to find more birds and faster than th- anybody's gun dog. It's just, they're, they are again it's like we're, we're still playing basketball here yeah. we're just playing against lebron james and uh those those but, dogs but, do they, but do, would you hunt with them would you shoot oh, a yeah. bird really all the time okay that's um, see a lot of like i would say 90 maybe 95 percent of our listeners or more are bird hunters you know and yes. they say, my dog will never compete at that highest level i'm okay with that but i wonder if i did get into trialing would that ruin my dog's ability to go on a hunt in North Dakota with me? And, and I'm, you know, hearing from different people, they're like, well, I don't, I typically only run trials with this dog. I don't take this one out hunting. And I, and I think for the average dog owner, that might be one or two dogs that they have. They want to yep. hunt. You know, and, and here's the, the, the little secret that nobody wants to, I mean, people that like to say, oh, trial dogs aren't hunting dogs don't own trial dogs <laughs> you know i mean yeah. i will take these these dogs that i've got out of here i've got a setter that won five times last year i'll go kill birds over him as, i mean as soon as the season opens we're going to be killing some sharp tails because it's good i mean we hunt i mean a lot of the trial dogs down in georgia i mean they're plantation dogs as well i mean they're they're hunting with clients three or four days of the week um and, and for the you know the the person that's listening i always think i have a, a really really good friend named ben weddington here in nashville and ben's a new ben's a new field trialer and he comes from just like all of us did uh bird hunting we you know walking bird hunting and ben you know ben likes riding horses and he likes field trialing and he he has so much fun field trialing his setter i mean and, and you know ben ben will be the, probably the first one to tell you that his setter is not one that's going to be running the national next year um, but he has so much fun because it's, there, there's more to the field trial than go, just going, Hey, we're going to go watch a bunch of dogs run around. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch a bunch of dogs and, and the camaraderie and there's something for everybody when it comes to field trials, whether it's cover dog stuff in the North for grouse, um, whether it's walking trials, I mean, there's so many great walking trials. Uh, we, I mean, a- any of the listeners here could take their dog and, and go and, and have a really good time. We're in gun dog stakes, which the dogs don't have to be broke um, to steady to wing a shot. Uh, and, and, you know, I would not 
ever discourage anybody from field trialing with no matter what their dog is, because mm-hmm. that's where you're going to meet people that are like-minded, that love their dogs, whether, you know, whether you're horseback or not. I mean, I can tell you if you don't own a horse and you want to come to a region six field trial, um, and watch or run your dog, I've, uh, there are, there's always somebody with an extra horse that would love to have you as a guest. Um, and that's not just whether it's region six or whether it's in California. If you, if you reach out and say, Hey, I'd love to come to this trial, but I don't have a horse. Um, can, can I borrow one? And, and there's no doubt in my mind, the secretary or the president of the, of the AFTCA is going to reply and say, we would love to have you as a guest. Please come out. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all bird dog people and we all love bird hunting and we would love mm-hmm. to have more people involved in the sport uh, at, at whatever capacity they want to be at. And, and that's well, at the end of the day, that's that's the big thing for me. Right. Well, and, you know, like I've, I've interviewed, I don't know how many dozens or hundreds of people over the years now, and everyone says the same thing. It's about the dog. I just yeah. love watching the dog hunt. You get to extend your hunting season. I mean, look at you. You're out there a month before the opening day of the hunting season actually begins, but you're still doing it. Like I took my dog out and I brought a buddy and his puppy out. We went together. Uh, this was, you know, a couple weeks ago now. And like, it felt like it was opening day. I had a cap gun in my pocket. It was not a shotgun. I didn't care. I was like, here we go. Like it is season. We're back. I'm out in the field. I'm watching the dog. I'm watching his puppy and we're working. And to me, it's, it's such a big part of it and, and just really tightening her up for the season, but also let's see what this puppy's going to do, you know? And so, you know, just like you right now, you're out there going through the same process. You're not dropping the bird right now and eating it tonight for dinner, but everything else is, is the same that you would be doing during hunting season. It extends it by a lot. Exact same. And, and I will tell you, I mean, if you, if you're listening to this and you're not field trialing, you need to, you need to find a way <laughs> to get involved in it. Because here's the thing I'm working bird dogs, really the the DNR in North Dakota and South Dakota, they open up after because you don't want to run them during the hatch, but um, right. the season open training season opens July 15th for amateurs and, and pros alike. And, you know, there's so much ground and, you know, the birds are better. They're not grouped up. And, you know, we're running dogs now. I'm going to leave probably mid-September. I'll go back. I'll have my pre-release thing done. I mean, Kentucky season and Tennessee season don't open up until November. I'm going to have dogs running for, let's see, August, September, October, three and a half months pretty much before mm-hmm. season opens. And then field trial season contends, or, or continues all the way through April at the end of April. So, you know, I'm really only not running bird dogs, May, June, and part of July. So it becomes a lifestyle where, you know, and we all used to chomp at the bit, like, like a lot of hunters do, but you're right. You, uh, I love shooting birds and trust me, I've had a vendetta against quail for a long time. (laughs) Um, I love shooting. I love shooting birds, but I'll tell you, I get the same rush this morning at five 30. I let my big setter loose and to watch him cover that country and then slam on point at 300 yards and ride my horse up there and get off the horse, walk in front of him and 25 chickens come up. I shoot my mm. blank gun. He's standing there. Just it's amazing. You know, and, and, and that's yep. the thing. Do what I've got any more enjoyment shooting that bird. 
no. Uh, the answer is 100% no, because it's, it, it's, it's watching, as we said, the poetry in motion. And mm-hmm. any, any hunter's like, ah, you know, I've got to, it's not any fun unless I'm shooting birds. You're not giving your dog the credit they deserve um, because it's, it's really their hunt. We're just there to hang out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you're just, and, you're uh, living in their world for a little bit. Yeah. You know, and as a handler, you know, it, I will say the with, with trial dogs, you're, you're on the horse and, and you are handling the dog. I mean, you know, I turn the dog and use, you know, sheep whistle to turn them and, and make sure they stay in front. But he's got to point to birds. And uh, if you can extend your season and your time with your dog simply by putting the shotgun down, grabbing a blank pistol and going and hanging out with a bunch of people that like doing the same thing you do. Why aren't you doing it? Yeah. Um, yep. Because we all we all should be doing. I mean, I remember first trial I went to. I was like, "Why why am I not doing this when I was 12, 13 years old? This is amazing." Um, and again, there's there's every there's every version of it that you could possibly think. Whether it's Nastro, whether it's uh, you know UKC um, American Field stuff, all the way up to horseback, all age. Um, you know the walking trials. There's there's something for everybody and. If you like doing what we all like doing, which is watching bird dogs and finding birds, this this fall, do yourself a favor and go go to a field trial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even just to watch. Okay, so what are you seeing out there in the field right now? I, I already told everyone at the beginning, it's a lot because that's what you've it's been telling me. It's a lot. Uh, and that it bodes well. It, it, it te- what is it? it? Yeah, there are a lot of birds. Um, you know, I think it's, don't quote me on this. I think I'm just talking to somebody. I think it's, is it El Nino this year? Um, I don't even there, know. There's, there's something going on, but they've got a lot of rain. Uh, and they got a lot of rain and they got late snows, which was the moisture. And, um, I mean, we moved yesterday in two rounds, which was four dogs. We moved over 15 covey of chickens. Um, and that's between 545 and 8 o'clock in the morning, probably. And that's, so fifteen coveys of sharp-tail grouse. You call yeah, them chickens. Are you seeing? Are there are there Hungarian partridge mixed in in the region that you're running? There are. There are. Um, you know, speaking of Hungarian partridge, we. Uh, I mean, sometimes we have you know the landowners that on the land will help them sometimes do farm stuff, and uh, they were moving hay bales yesterday, and there, there was a covey of huns just underneath the hay bales. Um, but there, there's a lot of birds right now, and uh, I mean, even if you were to go on the plots land, I mean, the plots land looks great. Um, and we pass a lot of it. Um, and, and if you've never been to North Dakota, there's a buttload of plots land. Yep. Um, and it's great pasture. I mean, the grass looks great. I mean, the spear grass is all out now. Um, and I'm hearing that from everybody. I mean, I have a friend that's in, in South, South, uh, yeah, South Dakota. And he said, you know, they had nine contacts in one round. Um, you know, so nine broke fine. I mean, if you have a, a, a young derby dog, that's a year to two years old and you're breaking them, um, and you get nine contacts in an hour. Oh I my mean, goodness. The yeah. value to, of that is I, I, you know, talked with people that train in different parts of the country and they go to planted birds versus or like pigeons. And I'm like, everybody that has been in the upland bird hunting world and the bird dog training world for any amount of time, we'll tell you that wild birds make a dog, you know? Oh, and- yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it, and I love pigeons, um, but I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, but 
you know, anybody that, that has enough dogs will, and if they work on pigeon, dogs will get sour in a pigeon real quick. Um, you know, then you'll start knocking them and, and I mean, I've even seen dogs blink pigeons because you train on them so much. They're just, they don't smell sweet. Um, and, and, you know, if you use liberated quail, you start running into the problem of, you know, birds that don't fly. They, yes. you know, they don't leave yep. the dog's life. They have to leave the dog's life, especially those young dogs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they cannot catch they, them. They cannot they catch, that catch bird. them. They're gone. It's, it's out of their life. It's, they don't come back. There's no chase. I mean, they can chase. Uh, and that's, but the nice thing is you, with wild birds, you have control of the situation. You know, they don't, the birds are gone and, you know, and the dog's able, you, you don't have any chance to create problems, mm-hmm. um, with, with catching and, you know, getting sour on them. Uh, you just don't can have you, that problem. Can you explain what the problem is when you've got a young dog and you're trying to train it and you're using, let's say, like you just said, pigeons or quail and it doesn't fly and your dog catches it what problems are you creating there you know you, those young dogs and I, I say young dog is anything under two really i mean dogs that before they get broke and uh you know those those dogs they learn by association and you know if they go all right that bird only went 30 yards and i caught him well guess what i think i could do it next time you know i think i could probably do it after that so you have a dog that catches two or three birds in a row He's probably, you know, if he busts in and the bird flies up in the air and he catches it or conversely, I mean, you, a lot of people are, you know, just because it is what it is, it's a situation we use launchers and, you know, you'll get a young dog and you got pigeons and you put the, you know, you go down to your local park or you go to your family farm and you throw the launcher out in the field and that young dog's ripping through there and he, you know, gets he's ripping down that edge row and all of a sudden he smells that pigeon in the launcher and he hops in there and you're not good on the button and that launcher goes bam right in his face and then he now he just got hit in the face with a pigeon well guess what you've got a big problem and you know that's those are just two or three things that i've seen over the years uh that you just don't have a problem with you know and converse i mean with pigeons they're just pigeons you know what i mean not many people go pigeon hunting. A friend of mine, Tommy Rice, is a pro trainer up here, and he lives in Georgia and, and, and won the national shooting dog. Tommy goes, I don't pigeon hunt. I quail hunt, and I sharp tail hunt. And, and he goes, I, I like hunting game birds. Um, it's different. The dog knows it's different. And and some dogs will even start to sense a setup. I mean, I have a uh, – I, well, I guess I don't have it anymore, but I had a, a setter male. Um, he would, you know, he would be broke, broke, broke on a setup. You'd have, you know, locks of pigeon wings, throw them down. And the, the way George Hickok's always taught me, and it, it makes a lot of sense, is, you know, use your lock wing birds, two or three of them, throw them down, and then have your launchers 10 or 15 yards behind that when the dog comes in. That way, you know, if they are going to jump in, they don't get hit in the face with the launcher. And uh, so, you know, you'd set that, set that drill up somewhere, bring that dog. He knew it was a setup, and he was perfect. <laughs> I mean, you talking – head up high that you know looking like a damn church steeple tail looked great and but he knew it he knew it was a pigeon set up you put him on some wild quail he's going to knock him and chase him every single time and people i bet you could ask a hundred listeners and they say man my dog was he's broke the steady wing and shot at home i don't know what happened when they get out here on these wild sharp tail or wild quail it's because you ain't trained on trained on wild quail he knows you're setting him up 
And, Isn't that uh, amazing? I my dog amazing. did the exact same thing. Yeah, she was just a pro, and you like pro. they can smell they can smell you walking in the grass where you walk through. Your hands. Just yes, absolutely yeah. for sure. They, they, they know something's up. Smart. Yeah, yeah. So okay, um, now you've got a dog. Then let's take it the next step. You've got that dog that will rip right through the covey, and there they go. What are you working on then with your dogs out there right now to prevent that, to stop that, to bring your dog? rein your dog in or like what are you looking for in the dog that is a young dog out there on the prayer with you right now you know I, I guess i'll give you two examples you know we've got uh one dog who is a you know a, a flight risk um which, <laughs> you know <laughs> will and i will and i we work our dogs together so it's always you know there i might have a dog and two two dogs on the ground and he might have two dogs on the ground so i get to watch and we're, we're doing the same thing same process but you know you've got a dog that's out there running and all of a sudden you see chickens going in there just everywhere um you know most of the dogs if they're you know a year a little after a year you know belly collar uh, people you can say you can steady up a dog i mean they used to steady up dogs all the time without a belly collar there is not a pro trainer out there right now that is competing at a high level that isn't using a belly collar or some function, some something a belly. There's they're getting stimulated. Mm -hmm. um, so you stop. I mean, the belly collar just stops the dog. You don't have to. You don't even have to say anything. That's the beauty. There's no fingerprints on the dog um, when you're trying to steady that dog up. So say you've got a nice dog out, your year old dog or 14, 16 month old dog's out running that country, and he points. A, you know, he points a sharp tail, and uh, you know he's going. So as soon as you get up there, he, he, he knocks it. So, you know, the birds are going everywhere. So then you're, you know, that belly collar, you whoop, 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 and you're, you're pumping that button. And, you know, at whatever level makes him stop. The main thing is, is they got to learn that they have to, that belly collar means stop. Doesn't yep. mean kind of maybe stop. It means stop. So yeah, not you're, sometimes, you're, every yeah, time. Sometimes. And, and most people that haven't run a belly collar before, this they'll screw up and not, and they and they let the dog win. If the dog's from good genetics, they're gonna do it. Um, so you'll get a dog, you know, that's going to chase, and you you're probably gonna have some yips and rolling on the ground and blah blah blah. But it's part of it. Um, you know, the dog you you stop him, whoop 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 whoop. You know, it might be 30, 30 yards, and then that next time he points a chicken, which hopefully is in the next twenty minutes, um, it might be fifteen yards. You know, and you're slowly bringing that chase down. Uh, and and again, the reason you come up to the prairie is because you have, you know, running at, running your your grounds at home. How long? How many days would it take you to have twelve or fifteen fines? Right. Um, that you have that opportunity. So you're up here, and you know, in three or four days of sleep, you know, that first day is going to be bad because you're going to be, you know, he's going to roll on the ground and yip and act like you killed him. And that second day, you know. <laughs> It's just what a day this is a dog training. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he might get his feelings hurt. And that second time he's going to 10, 15 yards. And next thing you know, five or six contacts down the road, he, he points those birds and you walk in front and the birds go up and you shoot your pistol and look around and there's old Willie standing there pretty as a peach. And uh, it's, it's, it's that. And the dogs have to learn. You know, they've got to learn to find the birds and you can't whoop, whoop, whoop them. And that's the other main thing is, is you get a lot of young people coming in that, that have never steadied a dog up to wing a shot. Or maybe they've done one and he was easy and now you've got a second one and the second one's a bear. Um, you know, they're, they're, 
they'll make mistakes and let the dog win. And uh, at the end of the day, stopping the dog is what you want. You got you got to stop them, and you got to get, you know, they're they're going to want to find more birds. So you just got to you got to get out there, use that belly collar, make them stand up, and uh, and that's that's pretty much what we're doing with ten or twelve dogs right now. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, Waze, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Um, do having multiple dogs out in the field, I, I think I already know the answer to this, but does it change the dynamic for the, for the dogs? Like you might have some that are more competitive. Um, does that matter to you at all, though, to have that? A competition in the field amongst them oh yeah yeah they i mean it's called a brace mate and you know there are dogs that will run my, my big setter that I've, I've placed a lot last year is a derby um he's super competitive i mean i ran him today and he'll run you know 100 200 yards if if it's just he and i in a workout he knows because with him he's gonna go out we're gonna have two broke fines i'm gonna put him on a roading harness and we're going back to the truck it's just because you know too much of a good thing can be too much of a good thing. Um, you know, there are old Harold Ray saying is, you know, anything, that you, anything that you can use to help a dog can be used to hurt a dog and too many birds on a dog like that. You'll start getting a lot of stop to flush. They get, they get their oats, man. They'll be out there. And next thing you know, they will be, you know, birds will be going in there and they'll stop, you know, they just get too excited. So one or two fines for a dog that's broke like that and you're good. Uh, you and, know, and on a high note, right? And on a high note every time and, you know, get a competitive dog like him and he's broke. I mean, rip is, is broke as it gets. Uh, but you get another dog that's not broke, which can be great for him because you never know if your brace mate that you're running a trial with, you might just get a wild hair and want to see him, want <laughs> to, want to see him in the <laughs> air. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we usually try to corral the dogs in and, you know, if we get one on point, We'll start calling the others in and, you know, work on backing. It's training. So 
work on backing that belly collar again. You know, when that dog, if I've got a dog on point at the top of the ridge and that other dog comes up, he's getting, and if he ain't stopping when he sees that other dog, he's getting a belly collar. And, yep. you know, it's just, it's part of the have to learn to back because you can't win a trial with a back, but you can lose one and uh, with a dog not backing. And it, it really boils down to you know, four, five, six dogs out there at a time you're probably going to see a lot of birds and, and you, you kind of in mentally you start going, okay, he won today. This dog won yesterday, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, some, some will get competitive, but you, you got to remember you're training and you're doing it for their benefit, not for your benefit. So sometimes letting those young dogs, especially ones you're breaking, you don't want to let them be running five, six, 700 yards. You want them in close. That way, if they do, put a bunch of birds in the air you can make sure you saw it and you can whoop 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 you know and you're you're pushing that button and uh it's just different so you might have four dogs out there five, four different stages of their bird dog career and you're having to manage all of that i mean i've got collars hanging off my saddle i've got one on a lanyard on my neck you know and you got to know you know, which one <laughs> which dog's which um yeah it's it's, it's a it, it gets pretty hectic sometimes but once you get the hang of it it's, it's fun Oh, I bet it's amazing. And I, I think somebody that, you know, maybe they get out hunting five, 10 times a year or something like that, that's listening right now. And they're like, gosh, I just don't have the opportunity to do that. Or I'd rather just wait. So when I can shoot the bird, but I think a big takeaway to this would be the value of what comes out of those kind of runs where you're not shooting a bird and putting up feathers in their mouth is so important that I think a lot of people maybe miss the uh, the value in a run like this because of what it does long term. You just talked about, you know, going from a dog that ran 50 yards, 30 yards, 10 yards. Now the dog's standing there. And that took that took a morning. That can take one morning of yeah. a run like you just talked about. And now the next time you go out, it might they might do a 20 yard and stop and they're like, oh yeah, that's right. I gotta stand here. And now the rest of your season you have a dog that stays there in the next season, the next season, instead of perpetuating bad habits and keeping them going over and over and over again, another off season comes, another hunting season comes back. You've got the same complete mess out in the field that you've been dealing with for eight years. And you're like, I really wish I would have just focused one day or one weekend on the yeah. dog and not me to get to that point. And that's essentially what, what running the dogs like that is doing for you. 100%. And, and what I will tell anybody, if you're sitting in your, your work spot or you're driving right now and you're going, gosh, Kent, I just don't have time. I've got a really nice young dog. I don't have time to work him because that first year is so vital in developing the dog and not just a house pet. I mean, they have to learn to become a bird dog. There, it is imperative that they become a bird dog first and they need to, you can, it, Hickox always told me that, that you can take anything you want out of a dog, but you can't put it in them. You know, th that dog that runs, you, if you got a puppy, you're like, ah, oh, he just runs so far. Well, be glad he doesn't run five yards in front of you. And the only birds you're going to kill are the ones that you walk over. Right. Um, you right. know what I would, anybody that, that has a young dog, whether four to six months, or you're getting a puppy, you know, it's obviously a little late now, but 
I would, or even young dogs that need tune-ups, there are lots of pros that come up to the prairies, like George Hickox. You know, George takes client dogs all the time. If you're a guy that's living in Atlanta and you've, you've got a dog that you like to hunt, you know, like like most people that are that can't get away five days a week, but you like to go hunting Thanksgiving in two or three days, you know, two or three days a month, but you want a dog that's going to be able to do the things you need him to do send him with a pro people are so scared to have their dog run by a pro or, or worked. You know, if you send a dog North right now, which is what they call it coming up here, coming North, um, with a pro like Tommy Rice or George, I mean, you're going to pay 1600 bucks or whatever it is for the two or three months they're here. Your dog's going to get roaded, um, and be in birds. I mean, your dog's going to probably be in more birds in those two months than he's, you're probably going to give him for the next, five years by yourself right, um, right. and and do that and it's worth your money i mean you know going out here and, and throwing a few pigeons on the ground in july and making him point a pigeon you're doing it for you to be 100 percent honest with you. <laughs> you're yeah, doing it for maybe. you i've done it you know I, i've done it and just well i think i'm gonna go throw some pigeons down for old sparky i mean yeah he's he's gonna have fun but really at the end of the day you're doing it for you Get the dog in places where he's going to hunt, you know, send him down with the pro pay the pay, whatever it is for next year and send him to a summer camp and let him, let him be a bird dog. Let him live in a kennel, you know, and be excited to get out of that kennel. And there's something about that man that, you know, I can tell you owning dogs that live in the house and owning dogs that live in the kennel, those house dogs know <laughs> there's a difference. And, uh, there's, you know, I've seen some that, that, make the decision on their own that they'd much rather be on that couch. And, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Teach the dog to be a bird yeah. dog first. And, you know, if he can come out six month old pup, eight month old pup. I mean, I had yesterday flocking them, you know, we had what six, seven pups on the ground and we we're up on this big Ridge and these puppies are, you know, they're still chasing butterflies and, you know, puppy stuff. And we get into a group of sharp tails and, uh, of course they fly up in volleys. So these puppies running running together and all of a sudden the sharp tail comes up and of course all of them they chase him down the hill you know 500 yards you know you shoot the blank pistol and they chase him and the cool thing about puppies they come back up they come back up to that hill because they're like oh well, this is the whale we're coming back to the whale and you know what another sharp tail comes out bam so they they had four or five chases right there and you know none of them pointed it which is fine you know these are little these are little puppies on the sharp tails but um you know they're they're learning to hunt they're all oh, there's birds here and mm-hmm. four or five weeks from now when i'm going back to uh to nashville the puppies that i am taking back and going to keep you know they're probably going to have more wild bird contacts than half the bird or half the dogs that you know are going to hunt in this season where uh, what are you going to do with the dogs that you don't keep where do they go so a lot of those dogs will get sold um you know Facebook marketplace or, or, you know, friends of mine that are looking for dog, like bird hunters, uh, mm-hmm. walking dogs. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I've got some kids back home. Uh, a friend of mine runs a, he's a NFFA teacher and a lot of kids I've, I've kind of helped him start. I'll, I'll give, give puppies away to kids that are, uh, that don't make field trial dogs. Um, you know, just trying to, I'm, I say give back is probably not the word, but, uh, help get kids started. Um, there's mm-hmm. a kid that, that one of the cold puppies, uh, he, he's like, Oh man, I love that puppy so much. And when I get back, I'm just going to give him the puppy and, um, you know, help him out be like, Hey, you know, here's, here's where the puppy's at. He's pointing, he's pointing birds and he's running along and this is what you need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's 
a lot of bird hunters. Um, I have some friends in Texas that buy pups. Uh, you know, and the, a lot of those dogs will end up being guide dogs. Um, you know, shorter running dogs that that you're gonna go. You would go hunt over in, you know, quail plantation in Georgia, or you can go hunt over in Texas. Uh, you know, they they find a home and they find a job. Uh, is is probably the best way to say it. Um, and then the ones that stay end up being field trial dogs, and and hopefully move on to be big champions and stud dogs at some point. Wow. Well, this has just been a, a fun conversation just to like get into your mind a little bit. And I'm just like picturing the prairie and watching all the birds out there. And I think for people listening too that are heading west to hunt this year, the, the bird numbers that you're seeing, are they quite a bit more than the last few years, would you say? Yes. Uh, I mean, last year when we were here, um, I would say you would average around two to three finds a pass and we're talking about you know like quarter sections um and i mean as i said we had there was one spot uh two days ago two mornings ago and about a hundred it's always funny they're always in like a the, the chickens are always in a um about a football field size spot and i mean it was unbelievable how many birds i'm probably over a hundred birds in a football size area hell there were there were rooster pheasants coming out of there. <laughs> uh it's just i mean there were rooster i mean i'd be like is that a rooster <laughs> you know oh my gosh. and uh you know there there are a lot a lot of birds and and, and everybody i've talked to um is, is saying the same thing and that's across the state it's not just southwest north dakota or you know a friend my friend's in pierre and he's you know as I said he got into nine what is it yeah nine contacts in one run but so if you're if you're listening to this and you're bird hunting and you're getting ready to start field trialing because that's what you're going to do after listening to this podcast you know you're going to bring your dog up here and you're going to kill a bunch of sharp tails before they all get real wild and the centuries will you know screw you um, <laughs> right you know and you're going to come up and you're going to shoot a bunch of pheasants and then you're going to come back and say, wow, that was really great. And, uh, I want to do it again. Um, yeah, the, the birds are fantastic, man. So anybody that's listening, have a wonderful, wonderful trip in North Dakota or South Dakota this year. Uh, because I think, you know, you, you're going to have, it's going to be well worth the gas to get up here. Awesome. All right. Well, Kenton, appreciate it. One last opportunity to sing that line. If you got it, if you remember it, I ain't got it, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Well, let's do this. I'll hop on here after field trial season is done and we can, we'll have the big reveal on which one of these puppies ended up winning this year. Um, we'll get on and we'll, we'll, I'll just send you a bird dog song and we can play it in the front. There you go. I like it. Yeah. You write that song and then all the bird hunters can listen to it this year as they head out into the field. Appreciate it, man. (laughs) Yeah. And I, uh, I was going to say anybody that's on social media, hit me up. Um, would love to get up, would love to work some dogs with you and, uh, any questions or comments or, or, you know, anything about field trials, as I said, please reach out. Um, I I love to help and I love to support bird dogs and bird hunting and, and, you know, all the organizations, pheasants forever, quail forever, uh, support those organizations and, uh, watch the flush. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of your time on the prairie. We'll be listening and uh hopefully someday i'll be able to see your dog in your dogs in action out there on the open prairie pretty cool sight anytime to see. all right we'll be back next week with another episode of the flush podcast